imagine for a minute history's most famous physicists. Albert Einstein, Werner Heisenberg, Niels Bohr. The field of physics is full of brilliant minds whose work helped us better understand the building blocks of our universe and who became legends in the process. But there is one scientist who is continually left out of the conversation. Ettore Majorana, the Italian theoretical physicist, was considered by his peers to possess a genius on par with Isaac Newton or Galileo Galilei. His groundbreaking work led to the discovery and acknowledgement of antiparticles. He even hypothesized the existence of the neutron a year before another scientist won a Nobel Prize for discovering it. Despite all that, Ettore Majorana's work has long been overshadowed by the dark legacy and mystery he left behind. In 1938, Ettore Majorana boarded a boat that set out from Sicily across the Mediterranean Sea. When the boat docked, Ettore wasn't on board. His body was never found. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. If you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. You can listen to previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the disappearance of Ettore Majorana, the Italian physicist who led a brief but brilliant career before suddenly vanishing in 1938 at the age of 31. All attempts to locate Ettore Majorana have failed, but there are a number of interesting theories about what happened to him. In this episode, we're going to discuss Ettore Majorana's life and the story of his disappearance. Next week, we'll discuss the main theories as to what really happened and try to determine where Ettore Majorana went. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. 
So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Famous geniuses often like to emphasize that they came from humble beginnings. Ettore Majorana was not one of them. Ettore was born on August 5, 1906, in Catania, a city in the Sicily region of Italy. His grandfather, Salvatore, had brought himself up from nothing to become a successful lawyer, economist, and politician. As such, Ettore was born into privilege. He spent his early years moving between his family's multiple homes across Italy. His father, Fabio, was a successful engineer, and his mother, Dorina, devoted her time to raising Ettore and his four siblings. He was, by most accounts, a shy, focused child who showed an aptitude for mathematics from an early age. Ettore could reportedly multiply three-digit numbers and deduce exact square roots, all in his head. But whenever he was prompted with a math question, he would hide under a table or a bed or in a closet so that he could do his calculations in private. Ettore's parents expected great things from him, and it was likely the weight of those expectations that led to an intense social awkwardness at a young age. He had few friends. His tendency to isolate himself was a habit that would stick with him for the rest of his life. Ettore attended school in Catania until 1921, when he was 15. In that same year, his family made their house in Rome their primary residence. The young Ettore then finished his primary schooling in Rome and then set out to follow in his father's footsteps and become an engineer. He obtained his diploma in engineering from the University of Rome in 1925 when he was 19, then enrolled in a three-year postgraduate program. But he never finished his engineering degree. In 1927, Ettore became friends with a group of fellow students and teachers who would come to be known as the Via Panisperna Boys. They got their name from a street in the town where the university was located. This was a group primarily made up of physicists and was unofficially led by Enrico Fermi, the man who would go on to create the first-ever nuclear reactor. They were young, brilliant men who were looking to push the boundaries of understanding in the field of physics. Physics, at that time, was experiencing a boom among the scientific community. The growing field of quantum physics studied the world at an atomic and subatomic level. The world's top scientists were beginning to grasp the sheer scope of possibility that existed within the atom. The Via Panisperna boys were looking for like-minded geniuses to join them, and they wanted Ettore in their group. 
Ettery didn't necessarily fit in socially. Now 21, the college-aged Ettery was intense and private as he had been as a child. His somewhat gangly frame made him look awkward. He didn't have to work hard to avoid social interaction. But he was drawn to the challenge that the field of physics provided. Engineering was finite, but physics, by its very definition, was infinite. The subject also gave Ettery a prime space to show off his intellect. One story goes, when Ettery first met with Fermi to discuss joining the physics school, Fermi showed Ettery an equation that attempted to explain the density between an atom and an electron. The whole group had been struggling to solve the equation. Fermi showed Ettery his attempts, and Ettery took Fermi's notes and abruptly left. Ettery returned the next day and congratulated Fermi in front of the entire group for not having made any mistakes. Ettery explained that Fermi was on the right track. He just needed help in simplifying the equation. He then transcribed the equation and simplified it for the group. They were all shocked. Ettery, for his own part, reveled in the experience of solving an equation that had stumped the other Via Panisperna boys. Shortly after he wowed the room, he made a life-changing decision. At the end of 1927, he abandoned his engineering major and transferred to the University of Rome's physics program. The move didn't sit particularly well with Ettore's parents. Fabio saw engineering as a respectable field because it dealt in easily defined math and calculations. Physics was a largely theoretical field that dealt in imaginary concepts and unproven hypotheses. It was more prone to falling into pseudoscience. Interestingly, Ettore's own uncle Zio was a physicist who was best known for refusing to accept Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, even after the scientific community and the world had. So... You could say Ettore's family had a complicated relationship with physics. But from an early age, Ettore had proven that, while quiet, he was decisive and headstrong and wasn't one to be talked out of something once he made up his mind. He began his first physics classes in 1928. The Via Panasperna boys seemed to have the time of their lives during their years at university. Albert Einstein's theory of relativity had brought the field into the forefront of the public consciousness, and the University of Rome essentially gave their brightest students free reign to study, experiment, and publish as they saw fit. When they weren't working in their labs, the young men hung out at cafes, debating the pressing scientific and political matters of the day, and poking fun at each other's work and eccentricities. Ettore joined them once he transferred into the physics program, though it would be a stretch to state that he was close friends with any of them. It's actually a stretch to say Ettore was friends with anybody. Though he had a few close correspondences in his life, Ettore was generally seen as a loner. But he was a genius. Decades before science could rely on computers, the Via Panisperna boys trusted Ettore for their calculations because he could always be relied on to do complex math in his head whenever someone needed help with an equation. It was the general consensus that Ettore was easily the smartest of the bunch, and Ettore certainly thought so. 
Though he was generally antisocial, he did enjoy his time with the group as an opportunity to showcase his own intellect. Ettore even got in the habit of spending his private time working out equations. After a few days, when he was around his fellows, he would act suddenly inspired and solve those same equations as if he had just come up with the answers spontaneously. So you can see how that kind of showing off wasn't exactly the most popular with his peers, which suited Ettore just fine. Contrary to what his theatrics might imply, Ettore hated attention. One of the most baffling and most frustrating things about him was that he rarely published his own work. While Fermi and the other physicists in the group were constantly publishing their theories, Ettore Majorana made a point to avoid going public with his finds. He felt that drawing attention to himself invalidated the purity of the scientific pursuit. In reality, his pressing need for privacy in his own life may have prevented him from wanting to draw attention to himself. From 1928 to 1933, Ettore Majorana rose to prominence as a bright mind among a community of bright minds. He didn't care for the acclaim. In fact, Ettore spent much of his short scientific career trying to avoid the spotlight. He'd even withhold groundbreaking scientific theories just so that he didn't have to deal with the publicity. The key example here involved the neutron the neutrally charged particle that exists in nearly every atom. We know today that atoms are made of protons, electrons, and neutrons. But in Ettore's time at school, only protons and electrons were proven to exist. Prominent physicists of the time were starting to suspect that another particle existed in the atom. But it was actually Ettore who first proposed the existence of a neutral atomic particle. He even wrote a paper about his theory, which he didn't publish. Fermi and the rest of the Via Panisperna boys were furious. Some months after Ettore wrote his paper, prominent German physicist Werner Heisenberg published a theory about the neutron, which, unbeknownst to Heisenberg, largely repeated a lot of what Ettore had already privately proposed. But Ettore was relieved when Heisenberg's paper came out. Now, there was less pressure on him to publish his groundbreaking piece. In Ettore's own words, now Heisenberg has done everything. Word of Ettore's genius eventually reached Heisenberg, who was among the most famous scientists in the world at that time. He was credited with a major role in establishing the field of quantum mechanics and had already been awarded a Nobel Prize in 1932 for his work. Now, Heisenberg wanted to meet Ettore. He sent an invitation for Ettore to study with him in Germany. This marked the beginning of a friendship that would seem to finally open Ettore up to the world and ultimately lead him to drastic isolation. We'll discuss the last known years of Ettore Majorana after this. Hi, listeners. It's Carter here with an exciting update for fans of our show. You can now listen to Conspiracy Theories anywhere you get your podcasts. This truly wouldn't be possible without our fans. So to every loyal listener that stayed with us over the years, your support means everything. Thank you. And to new listeners discovering us for the first time, I hope you're ready to unravel the world's wildest claims wherever you love listening. 
If you're looking for ways to support the show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let everyone know your favorite podcast is now available everywhere. One of my favorite things is going through all the kind words you've written about the show, and I cannot express enough how much it means to me and everyone who helps make Conspiracy Theories. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories every Wednesday and listen free anywhere you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. By the early 1930s, 26-year-old Ettore Majorana had made a reputation for himself as a physics genius. Although Ettore disliked publishing his own work, he had managed to put out a few papers since joining the University of Rome's Physics Institute in 1928. He'd gained acclaim for his early studies on spectrometry, the study of atomic particles, He also came to be known as a genius among geniuses, though his refusal to publish his own groundbreaking work infuriated his fellow scientists. Ettore Majorana was one of the first people to propose the existence of the neutron. He refused to publish his theory and thus was not credited for years. Most who knew him or studied him agree that if he'd wanted to, Ettore Majorana would have been the first man to prove the existence of the neutron. Instead, another scientist named James Chadwick went on to prove the existence of the neutron in 1932 and was awarded with a Nobel Prize. Some, including Zhuo Magaju, author of the Ettore Majorana biography A Brilliant Darkness, argue that in a just world, Ettore Majorana should have won that prize. But Ettore was utterly disinterested in praise or acclaim. Though it's never been proven, it's likely that this behavior had something to do with Ettore's childhood neurosis. He was immensely private and had a tendency to isolate himself. But one period where Ettore actually allowed himself to break out of his own comfort zone began in 1933 when he traveled to Germany to make the acquaintance of one Werner Heisenberg. Ettore joined the Physics Institute in Leipzig, Germany, at the beginning of 1933. He fell in with Heisenberg, and by all accounts, the two became close friends. Heisenberg even helped Ettore loosen up. Heisenberg was a man who enjoyed life as often as he could. He drank, he danced, he flirted. He was as involved in Leipzig's nightlife as he was in his own studies. More importantly to Ettore, though, Heisenberg was a philosopher— 
Fermi and the other Via Panasperna boys approached physics problems based on what they knew to be factually correct. But Heisenberg's method of study was rooted in the philosophical questions that drove physics, rather than concrete ideas. He preferred to approach problems based on what could be possible, regardless of whether it was likely. He was much more Ettery's speed. And with a like-minded soul at his side, Ettery really seemed to come into his own. He started socializing, writing letters to his friends and family. He even started to get serious about publishing and put out a number of studies on atomic particles in 1933. It would not be a stretch to state that this was the happiest period of Ettery Majorana's entire life. It wouldn't last. Though 1933 was a somewhat stable, enjoyable period for Ettery, the same could not be said for the world at large. The month that Ettery arrived in Germany, Adolf Hitler became chancellor. The Nazis' rise to power led to an Aryan-centric movement that attempted to discredit the work of Jewish scientists, namely Albert Einstein. The scientific community of Europe was being rocked by the political turmoil that signaled the coming Second World War. Ettore was a member of Italy's fascist party. Mussolini's Italy was aligned with Nazi Germany, and yet Ettore, always so private, made an effort to not broadcast his politics or comment on the concerning Nazi agenda. But as he became more well-known among the scientific community and within the government, he joined the party so as not to be seen as a potential dissident. It's unclear how Ettery would have fared in Germany as that country became embroiled in Nazi ideology. But Ettery didn't stay in Germany for long. Shortly before he moved there, Ettery had done something that would come back to haunt him. Back in 1932, just before Ettery had left Italy to join Heisenberg at the Physics Institute, Ettery had published a scientific theory that refuted the work of a physicist named Paul Dirac. Paul Dirac was an English theoretical physicist who had published a theory in the late 1920s. He proposed that matter in atomic particles had corresponding antimatter. Essentially, the energy within atoms was dual, and thus, every particle had an opposite. But Ettery believed that there was an infinite spectrum of particles within atomic fields, and it was highly unlikely that each particle had its own corresponding antiparticle. He published his own take on the matter in 1932, which proposed that most of Dirac's theory was false. Ettery was the more popular scientist at the time, especially among the Italian and German scientific communities, and a number of his peers believed him over Dirac. But then, in 1933, when Ettery was living in Germany, an American physicist named Carl Anderson claimed to have discovered the positron, which Dirac had proposed was the antimatter counterpart to the electron. Whereas the proton was made of matter, the positron was made of antimatter, yet also carried a positive charge. Anderson's claim was disregarded until spring of 1933, when more physicists working off of his and Dirac's equations came to the same conclusion. Dirac was right. Ettery was wrong. By all accounts, Ettery didn't have much to feel down about. 
The research and theories on matter-antimatter relationships had all been theoretical, and a hazard of being a theoretical physicist was proposing ideas that end up being wrong. But Ettery didn't take the incident well at all. He quickly fell into a deep depression. The world around him seemed to make little sense. His strong scientific instinct, which he had once thought was infallible, had failed him. And the Nazi and fascist movements in Germany and his native Italy were growing more concerning by the day, particularly as the Nazis started persecuting and discrediting Jewish scientists. Ettery wasn't Jewish, but he could hardly stand to see viable work be thrown out just because of who had done it. It is suspected that the culmination of these factors led Ettery to begin a self-imposed exile, much like he had done when he was a child. He locked himself up in his room in Germany and stopped going out. His old friends, the Via Panisperna boys, tried to break through to Ettery by sending him letters and urging him to resume his scientific pursuits. Ettery wanted to be left alone, and so he did something unforgivable. In mid-1933, Ettery sent a letter to Emilio Segre, one of the Via Panisperna boys, who happened to be Jewish. In the letter, Ettery playfully endorsed some of Hitler's more radical ideals and even frankly discussed the concept of the final solution, which we now know would eventually lead to the Holocaust. It's unlikely that Ettery believed what he was writing. There are other correspondences from around the same time where he expressed his own disdain and concerns over Nazi fanaticism. He was almost definitely trying to say something so hateful, so unforgivable, that his former friends would just leave him alone. The ploy worked. The Via Panisperna boys were disgusted by Ettery's words and cut all ties with him. Ettery had gotten what he wanted, complete isolation and distance from everyone who once considered him a friend. He never spoke on whether he regretted this move. But he wasn't done. It was not enough to sever his relationships with his friends. As Maguizhu writes, Ettery, quote, wanted to break with the world, not just with the boys. He left Germany in August of 1933 and went back to Rome. He took up residence in one of his family's homes that was, at the time, unoccupied. And thus, he began his life as a recluse. He stayed there for the next four years. He hardly left his room. His family would come to visit and stay in the house, but he would hardly acknowledge them except for when it was time to pick up his meals. Ettery spent nearly all his time working away at his desk. On what? His family couldn't say. He stopped grooming himself. His beard and hair grew out. His family and friends would pay for barbers to come to the house to clean him up. If he was in the right mood, he would begrudgingly allow them to cut his hair. Some have proposed that Ettery had suffered a nervous breakdown. But that seems unlikely. Ettery worked furiously throughout his isolation. Though he ultimately was a recluse for four years, there are documents indicating he had considered teaching classes at Via Panisperna as early as 1935, only two years after he shut himself off from the world. He also seemed to be actually ill, at least for a part of this isolation period. 
Etchery suffered from acute gastritis, a stomach disease, and spent an unspecified amount of time bedridden. Etchery continued his work in private, and evidence suggests that he branched out into other fields of science, including biology. But in exploring other interests, Etchery unintentionally barred himself from one of the most significant breakthroughs in the field of physics that happened during his lifetime. Although perhaps it was intentional, this particular breakthrough would lead to nothing short of annihilation. Up next, we'll discuss Ettery's return from exile and his final voyage. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Ettore Majorana, the troubled genius physicist, abandoned his professional life and his friends in 1933 and entered a period of self-imposed isolation that would last four years. During that time, his former colleagues and friends, the Via Panisperna boys, led by Enrico Fermi, discovered the means to bring about uranium fission. In March of 1934, they performed an experiment that led to artificially created radiation. In short, the Via Panisperna boys had just unlocked the tools that would lead to the nuclear bomb. The boys' work in uranium fission over the course of 1934 was unexpected and groundbreaking. It built upon a broader scientific movement at the time that was heading toward unlocking the secret of atomic energy. But they failed to hit a point of such success after that. Italy was becoming a more and more uncertain place with the growing presence of Mussolini's fascist government. Italian scientists were forced to grapple with the reality that their work may be used to help Italy and, by extension, Nazi Germany in the coming war. By 1937, the Via Panisperna boys had all but disbanded as they separately relocated to Allied countries in preparation for the brewing war. In an instance of noteworthy timing, Ettore Majorana ended his exile at around the same time. In 1937, a number of high-profile teaching positions opened up at the University of Palermo in Italy. The school's administration put forth a contest, with the winners being named as the new professors. After four years of barely leaving his house, Ettore Majorana shaved, cut his hair, bought new clothes, and returned to the world with an intent to secure the position. Ettore had been away from the scientific community for four years. He'd hardly written a personal letter, much less published anything new. He was aware that he would need something groundbreaking if he was going to win the deciding committee over. Recall that Ettore loved theatrics. He loved to prepare his bursts of scientific genius in advance so that he could own the moment. He clearly still had that instinct. And he had the bombshell paper he needed to get the reaction he wanted. 
Ettore revisited his work from 1932, the same work that he had published, in part, in his rebuttal to Dirac's theory about antimatter. He'd been revising it over the previous four years. Now, rather than propose that Dirac was false, Ettore set forth that Dirac was partially right. The paper didn't outright reverse the previous stance that Dirac was wrong, Ettore still needed the world to know he was a smarter scientist. The paper was called Symmetrical Theory of the Electron and Positron. The paper is best known for outlining the role of the neutrino, the weak neutral subatomic particle that is among the smallest in existence. The neutrino and the neutron differ because they're made of different subatomic materials. The neutrino's existence provided deeper understanding of the kind of radiation that the sun gives off. The paper is still considered to be Ettore's most significant contribution to the field of physics. Though the neutrino wasn't proven to exist for decades, Ettore almost certainly would have proved its existence much sooner, if he hadn't vanished. And yet, he ended up not getting the teaching job. He got a better job. The deciding committee felt the momentous occasion of one of Italy's top scientists returning to the fold deserved a special consideration. They put forth a proposal that a new position be created for Ettore at the more prestigious University of Naples. The proposal was approved, and Ettore was given a chair position at the university with a professorship and a larger-than-common salary. For Ettore, the position must have felt like he was starting anew. He had sought to return to the world of science and academia, and he had been embraced. He began work on January 13, 1938, by giving a lecture on his knowledge to a handful of staff. This was part of an Italian custom in which a new professor shows that he has a grasp of the subject he's been tasked with teaching. He impressed the staff, and his class commenced. His class that term had only five students, all of whom he claimed to like well enough in his personal notes. But though he liked them personally, Ettore noted a creeping sense of dissatisfaction in his interactions with the class. He found himself often having to dumb down his speech and lessons so that they were easier to understand. He longed for the days he spent with Heisenberg when he could put his full intellect on display. But simplifying the lessons worked. His students liked him. To them, he was a kind and helpful teacher. He got back in the habit of writing to his family, which is part of how we know so much about his routine during his final days in Naples. And that routine was, well, normal. He went to work. He taught. He graded assignments. He maintained friendly relations with his colleagues. There was one blip of bizarre activity in early March of 1938 when he suddenly withdrew a large sum of money from the bank account he shared with his parents. But other than that, nothing seemed truly out of the ordinary. On March 25, 1938, a woman named Gilda Senatore appeared in Ettore's classroom for the regular class. It was an odd sight at that time, Women in Italy didn't generally go to college, much less study under one of the most brilliant physicists the modern age had ever known. But Gilda was one of Ettore's five students in the last class he ever taught. Ettore approached Gilda before class and handed her a box of papers which he asked her to keep for him. 
She agreed. She liked Ettery, and he seemed to think she was a good student. He left, and she never saw him again. Jilda is actually one of the last people on record to have seen him alive. What follows is a loosely put-together account of the final hours of Ettery Majorana. That night, for reasons known only to him, Ettery boarded a boat to take him from Naples across the sea to Palermo, a trip that takes around 10 hours. He stayed in Palermo for a day, then purchased a ticket to return to Naples early on Sunday morning. He boarded the boat at Palermo and set sail back for Naples on an overnight ferry. When the boat arrived back in Naples, Ettery was not on board. His absence was first noticed the following Tuesday, March 29th, when he didn't show up for class. The search for Ettery soon placed him on the boat, and the police disregarded the disappearance as an obvious case of suicide. The only answer seemed to be that he had jumped off the boat in transit and drowned. But Ettery's family, wealthy as they were, and set a real investigation in motion. Their efforts were in vain. Even after 80 years of searching, no one has found Ettery Majorana. It's possible, maybe even likely, that he simply got what he always wanted, to be alone. Ettery Majorana's disappearance is now considered to be one of the great tragedies of scientific history. One can only imagine how the course of physics really the course of all history, might have been impacted if he had continued his work for decades more. In our next episode, we will discuss the fallout of Ettore Majorana's disappearance and the theories about what happened to him. The first theory is that the police were right from the start and that Ettore committed suicide by jumping off the boat. The second theory is that Ettery was kidnapped by agents of a foreign government who wanted to use his knowledge of neutron particles to help build some kind of nuclear device. And the final, most popular theory is that Ettery Majorana simply walked away from his life and everything he had ever known. He changed his name, cut all ties with his friends and family, and lived the rest of his life as a different man in solitude. Ettore Majorana vanished just before the start of World War II. Seven years after his disappearance, his chosen field of physics would produce the atomic bomb, which in turn led to the desolation of the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Besides the intentionally hurtful pro-Nazi letter he wrote during his self-imposed isolation, Ettore had always kept his politics to himself. One can only guess how he really felt about his fellow scientists creating a device capable of such massive destruction. Ettery spent a lot of time alone, considering the possibilities and implications of his work. He was a nervous, fussy man, and one can imagine how he took the idea of atomic detonation. And maybe, just maybe, he chose to remove himself from the conversation. The Argentinian children pushed and teased each other as they scuttled down the street. It was their favorite time of their favorite day. Church was over, and they had a whole Sunday to do whatever they wanted. Their young faces beamed as they all gathered around the thin, pale man who lived around the block. Though at a glance he seemed standoffish with his dark eyes and mane of graying black hair, 
The children had come to learn that he had a kind soul. He even handed them money for candy on occasion. They didn't get lucky that day. The man was in a hurry and paid the children no mind as he strode down the street. The children couldn't imagine the weight he carried on his shoulders. For he was Ettore Majorana, formerly one of the foremost physicists in the world. It was 1952 in sunny Argentina, and to the world at large, Ettore Majorana had been presumed dead for 14 years. In 1938, he boarded a boat bound for Naples, never to be seen again. Many assumed his disappearance was a suicide. But now, nearly 15 years later, there he was, spotted alive and well in South America. At least, that's what one theory claims. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. This is our final episode on the mysterious disappearance of Ettore Majorana, the Italian physicist who vanished without a trace in 1938. It's hard for an ordinary person to fathom the burdens of fame. Your name is spoken all over the world by people you've never met. You become defined by your deeds or your misdeeds rather than the content of your character. You lose all right to privacy, or at least the level of privacy enjoyed by the less accomplished. It's the price one pays for genius. But what if a famous person decided one day that they no longer wanted to be in the spotlight? What if they decided they'd walk away from all of it, not just the spotlight, but their entire life as they knew it, just to get a little peace and quiet? It is that question that brings us to the subject of Ettore Majorana. In our last episode, we discussed Ettore's life and career. Born in 1906 in the city of Catania in the Sicilian region of Italy, Ettore had a privileged childhood thanks to his wealthy parents, and he showed an aptitude for mathematics at a very young age. After obtaining a degree in engineering from the University of Rome in 1925, Ettore was convinced by a group of young, bright physicists, collectively known as the Via Panisperna Boys, to abandon his chosen career of engineering and become a physicist. Ettore thrived in the following years. By the time he was 25, his peers considered him to be the smartest physicist among them. But Ettore, who was notoriously shy and often antisocial, often refused to publish his work or take credit for his groundbreaking ideas. Ettore left Rome for a time to live in Germany to study under Werner Heisenberg, the German scientist who would later be credited with creating quantum mechanics. In 1933, After a public embarrassment when one of the theories that he actually published proved to be incorrect, 
Ettore entered an extended period of isolation. For four long years, he hid out in his parents' home in Rome, refusing to leave or speak with anyone. Then, in 1937, as suddenly as he'd exiled himself, Ettore returned to the world of academia and took a teaching position at the University of Naples. It seemed as though he would go on to a great, notable scientific career and likely would have been recruited by either the Axis or the Allied powers to research the atomic bomb during World War II. But then... In March of 1938, Ettore took a weekend trip from Naples to Palermo in southern Italy. At the end of the weekend, he boarded the boat back to Naples, but when it docked, Ettore wasn't on board. His body was never found, and to this day, no one is positive what actually happened to Ettore Majorana. In this episode, we're going to examine the immediate aftermath and the decades-long fallout over Ettore's disappearance. We'll discuss the early efforts to locate him, the clues that popped up in the years and decades after he vanished, and the lost legacy he may have had if he hadn't vanished. Then we'll discuss and analyze the main theories on what really happened to Ettore Majorana. Our first theory is that Ettore committed suicide by jumping overboard in the night and drowning. This was the theory put forward by Italian police immediately after Ettore was first reported missing in 1938. The second theory is that Ettore was somehow captured by agents of an unknown government who likely wanted to make use of his knowledge of particle physics to help construct an atomic or nuclear device. Our third theory is that Ettore disappeared on purpose. He made his way out of the country and lived the rest of his life in seclusion with a new identity. A number of locations have been put forth as to where Ettore went, but Argentina and Venezuela are the two most popular. In late March of 1938, the first major clue that something was dreadfully wrong came from Ettore Majorana himself. On March 25, 1938, the same day that Ettore took the ferry from Naples to Palermo, he sent a letter to his boss, Antonio Corelli, who was the director of the Physics Institute at the University of Naples. It read, quote, Dear Corelli, I made a decision that has become unavoidable. There isn't a bit of selfishness in it, but I realize what trouble my sudden disappearance will cause you and the students. For this as well, I beg your forgiveness, but especially for betraying the trust, the sincere friendship, and the sympathy you gave me over the past months. I ask you to remind me to all those I learned to know and appreciate in your institute, especially Shuti. I will keep a fond memory of them all until 11 p.m. tonight, possibly later, too. Signed, E. Bayorana. The message was alarming by itself, but Ettore actually seemed to feel like he needed to clarify. At around the same time, or possibly a few hours after he sent the first letter, Ettore sent a telegram to Corelli that simply read, quote, Don't be alarmed. A letter follows. 
Ettery seemed to have become concerned at how Corelli would react to his first letter, and he actually sent a follow-up letter that arrived the next day. Dated March 26, 1938, this second letter read, quote, Dear Corelli, I hope that my letter and telegram have reached you together. The sea has rejected me, and tomorrow I'll return to the Hotel Bologna, perhaps traveling together with this same letter. I have, however, decided to give up teaching. Don't take me for an Ibsen heroine, because the case is quite different. I am at your disposal for further details. So these letters together would seem to indicate that Ettery was considering something drastic. Whether that was suicide or simply running away was unclear. He got cold feet and realized he had sent his ominous note too soon and followed it up with a clarifying message that confirmed he was all right but would be giving up teaching. Regardless, Ettery never returned to Naples as he said he would. Corelli received the first note on Saturday morning, March 26th. He was alarmed and sent word to Ettery's family that something might be amiss. The search for Ettery began in earnest when he did not show up for class on Tuesday, March 29th. As his second letter stated, Ettery was at that time living out of a room at the Hotel Bologna. When his brother Luciano arrived in Naples to help with the search, he went to Ettery's room and found yet another note, this one also dated for March 25th. It read, quote, To my family, I've got a single wish, that you do not wear black for me. If you want to bow to custom, then bear some sign of mourning, but for no more than three days. After that, remember me, if you can, in your hearts, and forgive me. These three letters were the last known writings of Ettore Majorana. The search for Ettore was largely spearheaded by his brother Luciano, his boss Antonio Corelli, and other friends he had at the University of Naples. The Italian police were little help and actually seemed to have caused more harm by muddling the known details of the event. As Joao Magaju writes in A Brilliant Darkness, the police file on Ettore doesn't even get the dates right. There are a few explanations for this lax attitude. To the police, the letters Ettery left behind and the nature of his disappearance from the boat seemed to indicate an open and shut case of suicide. This was 1938, just a year before the outbreak of World War II in Europe. Italy was a supremely fascist state, and the secret police were far more interested in jailing and executing enemies of the government than tracking down one bookish scientist who seemed to have done himself in. Enrico Fermi, Ettore's friend and sometimes adversary from the days of the Via Panisperna boys, even went all the way to Benito Mussolini, Italy's prime minister-slash-fascist dictator, and begged the man to increase efforts to find Ettore. Mussolini actually wanted to oblige Fermi, but it's unclear what he did to help with the search. Five months after Ettery vanished in August of 1938, the University of Naples formally confirmed his disappearance and revealed that no one had claimed his salary payments since he vanished. On December 6, 1938, the university officially acknowledged that Ettery was no longer a teacher there, 
on the grounds that he had abandoned his position for more than 10 days. The police formally closed his file in April of 1939, just over a year after he vanished and just five months before World War II began. If the war hadn't happened, maybe Ettore's disappearance would have been a more global story. Maybe people in Italy and Germany might have had the time or the resources to really look for him. But they didn't, and Ettore hasn't been seen or heard from in the 80-plus years since that watery night in 1938. His disappearance robbed the scientific community of a brilliant mind. Up next, we'll look at the legacy that Ettore Majorana might have had if he hadn't disappeared. Now, back to the story. Before we dive into the big questions of what happened to Ettore Majorana and where he might have ended up, we want to look at how the man may have changed the world if he had lived in the public eye past 1938. We discussed in the last episode how Ettore was hesitant to publish his work, even when it was truly groundbreaking. He even wrote one paper that he never published, where he proposed the existence of the neutron within the atom a year before James Chadwick formally discovered the particle and was awarded the Nobel Prize. One can only wonder what other breakthroughs Ettore might have had a hand in if he hadn't vanished. Ettore's magnum opus of published work dealt with the existence of the neutrino, a weak, neutral elemental particle that is among the smallest subatomic particles known today. Neutrinos are sometimes produced in nuclear reactions. Ettore proposed the existence of the neutrino in 1937, but they weren't actually confirmed to exist until 1956, and the discovering scientist, Frederick Rhinus, was later awarded the Nobel Prize for finding it. It is likely that Ettore would have made this discovery much sooner if he hadn't vanished. What's more than likely is that Ettore Majorana would have gotten embroiled in the scientific arms race to unlock the destructive power of nuclear energy that presided over the Second World War and later the Cold War. The build-up to World War II was characterized by an interesting trend of Italian and German scientists fleeing to America to seek work at American universities, or more specifically, the American military. These scientists, who counted Fermi and Robert Oppenheimer among their ranks, had seen firsthand that the world was on the cusp of discovering the means by which to harness atomic energy. As many of these scientists came from Italy and Germany, there was a prevalent fear that the Axis powers would be the first to develop the atomic bomb. The result was the Manhattan Project, the top-secret military science collective that researched and developed the first active atomic bombs. It was an intense, costly, highly secret endeavor, and everyone agreed that Ettore would have been a great benefit to the project. As the story goes, Whenever the group of scientists would tackle a particularly difficult physics problem, Robert Oppenheimer would say, if only Ettore were here. So where was Ettore? Our first theory is that the police, lazy and inept as they were, got it right the first time when they concluded that Ettore Majorana committed suicide, 
most likely by jumping overboard as the boat was en route to Naples. This is a fairly easy conclusion to reach, based on the immediately available facts. We know that Ettore bought a ferry ticket and was supposed to arrive home in Naples early in the morning on Sunday the 27th. Though there are no confirmed eyewitnesses that specifically recall him getting on the boat, at least one unknown passenger would later tell police that they were fairly certain they shared a cabin with Ettery. Ettery was not on the boat when it docked in Naples. The ferry ride can take anywhere from 9 to 12 hours, and much of that is in the open ocean in the middle of the Tyrrhenian Sea. No lifeboats were missing, and all life jackets were accounted for. So if Ettery went overboard, then he would have done so with nothing to help him stay afloat. And unless he jumped at the very beginning or the very end of the journey, he would have been hundreds of miles from the nearest landmass. All that accepted, Ettery likely drowned and his body was swept out to sea or eaten by predators. The alarming notes he left for Corelli and his family would seem to lend credibility to the suicide theory. In his first letter, he confessed to making an unavoidable decision that would lead to his disappearance. The letter certainly reads like Ettery is not only saying goodbye to Corelli, but also asking Corelli to pass his farewells on to everyone else he knew in Naples. The second letter claims that the sea rejected Ettery. That could be inferred to mean he tried to jump on the initial ferry that took him from Naples to Palermo and was retrieved by the ship's crew. Or perhaps he got cold feet and didn't try to jump during that stretch of the trip. Ettery then thought he may not have it in him to try again, and so he sent the second letter to Corelli, confirming that he would be returning to Naples, but would not resume his teaching position. Given Ettery's previous behavior in 1933, when he exiled himself to his parents' house and hardly left or spoke to anyone for four whole years, this letter could be read to assume that Ettery was preparing himself for another bout of voluntary isolation. But then, in the middle of the night, as the ferry cruised across the open ocean back to Naples, Ettery found his courage to do what he had initially set out to do. He jumped overboard and drowned some short time after. The final discovered letter, the one in which he asked his family not to mourn him for too long, seems ominous enough to confirm a suicide. Ettery was intensely private and often antisocial. He wasn't known to have many friends or lovers, and one can only imagine how a man with his intellect likely went through life feeling deeply lonely. Additionally, there never seemed to be a clear reason as to why Ettery pulled himself out of his isolation in 1937 when he first went after a teaching position at the University of Rome. The post was highly coveted, but a scientist of Ettery's genius and reputation likely could have secured employment just about anywhere he wanted. Perhaps after four years of solitude, he sought to return to the world he had all but left behind. But after a year, he felt that same powerful urge to just get away from everyone and everything he knew. But this time, the urge called for more than simple isolation. He didn't want to be alone on this earth or in the realm of the living at all. 
And so he got on that boat, knowing he would never step foot on dry land again. At face value, a lot of this would seem to add up, but not all the known facts corroborate the story. For one thing, according to just about everyone who knew him, Ettore Majorana wasn't suicidal. Intense and eccentric? Naturally. But in the aftermath of his disappearance, everyone who knew the man, including Enrico Fermi and Ettore's own mother, spoke often to the fact that he was not depressed. Even during the four years of isolation, Ettore was said to be active and focused. He conducted his own research during those four years and only really became lethargic during a lengthy period where he suffered from a stomach infection. Ettore was introverted, but that doesn't necessarily translate to depression, especially suicidal depression. Another potential hole in the suicide theory is the fact that shortly before he set off on his fateful trip to Palermo, Ettore withdrew a huge sum of money from his bank account. Now, one could make a guess here that Ettore just wanted to erase as much of himself as possible before he took his own life. It's a compulsion that would be on par with his reluctance to publish or take credit for his own work. But Ettore shared that bank account with his mother. And while the relationship had strained during the four years when he was isolated, it would still be very out of character for Ettore to withdraw money that his mother could have used if he was going to drown himself without spending it. Finally, while the letters Ettore wrote in those final days certainly seemed to indicate he was planning something, none of them explicitly say that he was preparing to kill himself. Ettore's letters spoke of necessary and irreversible decisions, tearful goodbyes and apologies to those who he knew would be let down by his actions. But none of them specifically said that his plan was to end his own life. He even said specifically to Corelli in the second letter, quote, don't take me for an Ibsen heroine because the case is quite different. Henrik Ibsen was a playwright who wrote two famous plays in which the heroine dies by suicide at the end. While it's unclear which specific heroines Ettore was mentioning here, it would seem that he was leaving an appropriately ambiguous note that he was not interested in killing himself. Now, suicide and mental illness are by nature unpredictable, and it is entirely possible that despite all of the facts that might counter-argue the suicide theory, that is in fact what happened. In the absence of a body, we will never be able to confirm or deny this particular theory. Of course, there are some far more outlandish theories as to why a body was never found. One theory, as described in Brilliant Darkness, claims that Ettore actually completed the ferry ride back to Naples. From there, he clandestinely took a short train ride to the nearby Mount Vesuvius and committed suicide by jumping into the crater of the volcano. Vesuvius is the volcano that famously erupted and consumed the ancient city of Pompeii in the year 79 CE. It is among the most famous volcanoes in the world, and its very name conjures images of ash scorching the sky and eons of human creation wiped away in an instant by the unstoppable wrath of nature. And it remains an active volcano to this day. Ettore was always known for his theatrics in how he conducted his work and presented his theories. As far as methods of suicide go, 
you can't get more dramatic than jumping into an active volcano, and the molten magma would ensure that no trace of his body would be left behind. The mystery of it all would be appropriate for such an enigmatic figure. But what about the other possibilities? The ones that state that Ettery survived his ferry ride and maybe even lived for decades after he vanished. When we return, we'll discuss the theories that Ettery was kidnapped or that he returned to self-imposed exile by faking his own death. Now back to the story. We've discussed the popular theory that Ettery Majorana vanished in 1938 when he committed suicide by jumping overboard from a ferry he was traveling on. But there are other theories that actually hypothesize that Ettery may have lived past 1938. Our second theory is that Ettery was kidnapped by government agents who are determined to make use of his knowledge of subatomic particles and even potentially force him to work on building a nuclear bomb. Now, the theory varies depending on who you ask, but the Nazis are one candidate for Ettery's kidnappers. As we've said, Germany was heavily invested in scientific research in the years preceding and during World War II. Ettery's friend and former mentor, Werner Heisenberg, was one of the primary scientists working on Nazi Germany's nuclear weapons project during World War II. Heisenberg had always admired Ettery's genius, so it's possible the Nazis kidnapped Ettery so that he could assist Heisenberg with his work. However, the recurring fact of note regarding this particular theory is that the dates don't really add up. Ettery vanished in March of 1938. The German government's first record of an effort to develop nuclear weapons is in April of 1939 over a year later. And the official mission didn't formally begin until the start of World War II, when Germany invaded Poland in September of 1939. It seems unlikely, though still possible, that the Nazis would have the foresight to kidnap such a prominent physicist, only to wait for more than a year to begin nuclear weapons development in earnest. The fact that Heisenberg never mentions working with Ettery during this time is also more than enough to put this one to rest. Heisenberg and Ettery were friends. What's more, Heisenberg's relationship with the Third Reich had cooled during the duration of the reign due to his Jewish heritage. After the war, Heisenberg would have had no reason to not tell the world that Ettery had been working with him the whole time. Another potential culprit are the Soviets. While a Russian plot to kidnap a prominent scientist may seem like something out of a James Bond movie, there's some historical data to support it. After World War II, Russia commenced Operation Osoviakim, a campaign in which Soviet troopers kidnapped thousands of German scientists and spirited them to Russia, where they were forced to work for the Soviet government. After the fall of Nazi Germany, a number of prominent scientists were up for grabs with both America and the Soviet Union scrambling to recruit as many as they could in preparation for the brewing Cold War. But again, the dates are just a little off here. It wasn't until 1940 that Russian scientists had a confirmed plan to develop nuclear weapons, 
and efforts to build a bomb weren't really supported in earnest until after the detonations over Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. Again, if the Soviets had Ettore for all that time, it seems odd that they wouldn't have gotten to work sooner. It has also been proposed that Ettore was actually kidnapped by Allied soldiers and forced to work for the U.S. government and eventually the Manhattan Project. The United States had its own version of Operation Osoviakim. It was called Operation Paperclip, and it too focused on recruiting, capturing, and sometimes outright kidnapping Nazi scientists and putting them to work for the American government. So we know that America wasn't above kidnapping a foreign scientist. But the question here is, would they have really kidnapped Ettore Majorana in 1938? It seems unlikely, if for no other reason than the fact that it would have been nearly impossible to keep Ettore's involvement with the Manhattan Project a secret if he was really involved. Ettore had friends on the project, and there's no discernible reason why none of them would comment on Ettore's place in the movement if he had really been there. There's one final addendum to this theory, the belief that the Nazis were behind the disappearance, but that they actually killed Ettore to preemptively stop him from moving to America and helping the Allies develop the atom bomb, as Fermi would later do. But again, if the Nazis had the foresight to consider Ettore that valuable, then they would have also known that he would have been much more useful to them alive. Given how easy it seems to be to discount the kidnapping theory, one might wonder where these hypotheses even come from. Well, the answer is twofold. A number of Ettore's relatives and friends allegedly stated that they believed he might have been kidnapped. This could stem from a desire to deny the possibility that Ettore vanished willingly either by suicide or by running away. People wanted to believe that he hadn't abandoned everyone in his life of his own accord because the alternative is much more hurtful. The second origin of this theory is comic books. Ettore Majorana is a supremely popular pop cultural figure in Italy, even today. That is in no small part due to a number of fantasy comic books that feature Ettore as a reluctant scientist who does battle with Nazi and Soviet spies. He even uses his genius inventions to travel to other dimensions. As is sometimes the case with these kinds of mysteries, the popular fiction became entwined with the fractured real story and created a widely propagated theory that had little basis in fact. Still, it's an interesting prospect to think about. So, if Ettore didn't kill himself, and if he wasn't kidnapped, then what really happened? Our final theory, and the one with the most factual support, is that Ettore Majorana ran away and lived out the rest of his life in seclusion in a foreign country. There are a few variations as to what Ettore specifically did after he vanished, but we should first examine the likelihood that he managed to get off that boat without anyone noticing. The fact that Ettore withdrew most of his savings shortly before he vanished is one of the big facts that support the runaway theory. Emptying your bank account without warning is certainly an indicator that a person is about to go on the run. 
Additionally, recall that Ettery's return ticket is considered to be the prime piece of evidence that proves he got on the ferry for Naples. But that piece of information isn't as confirmed as some have been led to believe. Immediately after Ettery disappeared, the family claimed that they recovered a copy of his ticket, which proved he got on the boat. But beyond that claim, no one else has ever seen this ticket, and if it still exists today, it has been lost. This could indicate the possibility that Ettery never got on the boat in the first place, and in fact, set off for parts unknown from Palermo. Or even if he did get on the boat, he could have taken off upon arrival. The boat docked in Naples at six in the morning and no one was waiting for him. There was no one at the Naples dock who could actually confirm whether or not Ettore simply stepped off the boat, got on a train, and left Italy forever. Proponents of this theory have a number of explanations for where Ettore actually ended up. One train of thought holds that Ettore fled to a monastery and spent the remainder of his life as a monk. The main fact that supports this theory is the statement of Monsignor Riccieri, a bishop who presided for a time in Catania, the town where Ettore was born, and claimed to have known him during the period shortly before Ettore vanished. Riccieri is vague in his recollection, but he allegedly stated that Ettore certainly did not commit suicide, but rather had a mystical crisis. He cited the confidentiality of the confession booth to get out of having to say any more. So there's not a lot to this one, but it does raise an interesting idea about Ettore's motivations for running away, if that's what he really did. Another uncorroborated theory says that Ettore gave away all of his possessions and roamed Naples as a beggar. He grew out his hair and beard, just as he had during his four years of isolation, until he was unrecognizable. He would wander near the university and even help students with math on occasion. This one seems more like a fairy tale than anything based on fact. Well, there's no body to confirm what really happened. Anything, no matter how unlikely, has to be taken into consideration. The last group of theories about where Ettore went when he vanished places him in South America, in either Venezuela or Argentina. There were more than a few accounts that placed Ettore in Argentina in the years and decades after he vanished. Throughout the 1950s and 1960s, a story spread through Argentina that in 1950, a hotel owner named Signora Talbert had hosted Ettore Majorana in a room. That story first started to travel overseas in 1960 when a Chilean physicist named Carlos Rivera took a table at a hotel restaurant and started scribbling an equation on the tablecloth. A waiter approached Rivera and explained that the restaurant had a frequent guest who also liked to scribble math on the tablecloth. His name was Ettore Majorana. Rivera didn't follow up on the story, but he did lead other scientists and curious historians to Buenos Aires. As it would happen, a number of people would claim to know Ettore Majorana. In fact, many would claim that in Buenos Aires, everyone knew Ettore. They just didn't know where he was. 
In 2011, an Italian news channel revealed a black and white picture of two men. The picture was stated to have been taken in 1955, and one of the men had 10 points of facial recognition with Ettore Majorana as he looked in 1938 when he vanished. Now, there are up to 80 nodal points, that is, the landmarks or details used for facial recognition, on any given face. But still, 10 matching points between decades-old photographs is enough to provide the possibility of uniformity. The picture reveal caused a small media sensation. In fact, the attorney's office in Rome announced shortly after that it had reopened the investigation into Ettore's disappearance. The new investigation did not locate Ettore, but amazingly, it did reach a conclusion. The official position of the Italian police as of 2015 is that Ettore Majorana was definitely alive and living in South America during the mid to late 1950s. Unfortunately, this conclusion does little to explain why Ettore left it all behind. But then, consider what we do know. Ettore was shy. He wasn't the most social person. He was deeply concerned with the fame that his work brought into his life. Perhaps most telling is this. In 1933, when Ettore was just beginning his descent into self-imposed exile, he was quoted as saying, Physics is on the wrong road. We're all on the wrong road. One of the more popular explanations for why Ettore ran away is that he had an extreme reaction to an existential crisis regarding his work and his place in the field of physics. In short, Ettore was smart enough to realize that the field of theoretical physics was going to eventually give mankind the power of the nuclear bomb. He saw that his work, the entire course of study that he devoted his life to, was going to make the world a more dangerous place, one that would put our entire species on the brink of annihilation. And so, he chose to walk away and absolve himself from the whole affair. Extreme? Naturally. This is the man who abandoned his career and his friends for four whole years because he published a theory that turned out to be partly wrong. We'll never know definitively why Ettore abandoned his life, his friends, his family, or his career. But the most likely theory does seem to be that he somehow made his way to South America and lived there in solitude until at least 1959. After that, well, Ettore would have turned 100 in 2006 if he was still alive. Even if he reached his 100th birthday, it's extremely unlikely he would still be alive today. We may have a solid guess of what happened to Ettore, but the why will always remain unexplained. As Enrico Fermi said shortly after Ettore first vanished, quote, Ettore was too intelligent. If he has decided to disappear, no one would be able to find him. And at least in Ettore's lifetime, no one ever did. We'd like to thank A Brilliant Darkness by Zhuo Magesiu, among other sources, for much of the biographical material on Ettore Majorana featured in this episode. 
If you're interested in further information on Ettery, we'd highly recommend A Brilliant Darkness. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, it is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode was written by Colin McLaughlin and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you so much to our fans and to any listeners hearing our show for the first time. Don't forget that you can catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories free each week anywhere you get your podcasts.